you have to crawl on your stomach to even get by them. And they, they spook off. It's not right. It's, it's a tricky game, those guys. Yeah. We're talking about some tricky fly fishing on episode 51, brought to you by reelsandtackle.com. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Okay, welcome to the show. Our guest today is Zach Dreisner, who's coming to us from Wyoming. Zach, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great and uh, really excited to talk with you today. Uh, for one, because I see uh, from your Instagram profile that uh, you get around. You've lived in a lot of different states and uh, I understand have had occasion to fish in many of these states as well. So uh, really excited to hear your take on all these different places and things you've caught and done. Um, but Maybe before we jump off into that, just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what you do. Yeah, so I'm Zach Jasmine. You guys, you know, you hear my name. Um, <laughs> so I I was raised in Texas, um, you know, fishing being pretty, pretty subtle throughout my life in the early ages. But uh, right around uh, 15 years old, I was in a wilderness program in Utah and uh, was taught how to cast a fly rod. Mm. And um, pretty much from then on, uh, the fishing addiction caught on and have pretty much been uh fly fishing since then and uh have uh pretty much been all over the place with that um you know i i've lived in states like missouri utah um idaho um let's keep going down the list texas uh i've spent I've fished states like colorado uh, new jersey florida i've fished all over the place and it and fly fishing pretty much in every one of those yeah, pretty. So mainly, what I I really got into carp on the fly as a kid. Um, one because of the challenge that they present, and as well as uh, you know them being you know all over the place, you can find mm-hmm. them practically anywhere. Yeah. So you know, mainly mainly fly fishing, a lot of warm water species, a lot of trout, a lot all all over the sorts of place with species though, and you know different environments and whatnot. Yeah. So let's. Let's talk about the uh, carp fishing. That's pretty intriguing to me. Um, tell first of all, where, where is it? You know, what states have you caught them in? And then, uh, secondly, you know, tell us a little bit about how you uh, chase after them with a fly. You know, what kind of lures and setups you have to use to catch these fish because they're pretty finicky, aren't they? Yeah. So one on fly fishing, you know, ninety percent of your carp on the fly is going to be sight fishing. Um, mm. You know, depending on the size of those fish and habitat, in you know, lots of really sterile environments, they like like on the Great Lakes and big sterile reservoirs like Blackfoot Reservoir. They like to run, um, and they run fast and powerful, and mm. they get really big on there because they get aggressive. But you know, lots of small creeks and stuff, you can get away with five and six weights and. Uh, you know, small nymphs and whatnot, and still, still having to fight them and whatnot, but not be undergunned, you know? Right. You know, some of the states I fish in, like Texas, uh, Texas fish are a bit odd. You know, you get fish, for example, on the Ray Rock that, uh, you know, they don't really get above 15 pounds on average, um, but they, uh, they're aggressive. They'll chase down some streamers a little bit, and it's really hard to access unless you have some sort of watercraft because mm. the, the bank's 
the banks are covered with uh with old trees and whatnot so it's really hard to to get uh bank access or waiting access in a lot of those places yeah you know small little little watersheds below dams and whatnot where you get a you know, lots of fish schooled up and, you know, feeding on the edges of gravel bars and they're, they're fun to fish for, or even sometimes feed on top on, on, uh, scum lines. And mm. usually you can throw a beetle or hopper and get away with that. Really? Okay. I think I, I'd, yeah. I'd heard sometimes you, I, I'm thinking it was for a carp that sometimes people use flies that imitate berries and things. Um, have you ever heard of yeah. that? Yeah, I've actually, I've, I've witnessed it a little bit, lots, a uh, big time in Missouri, um, lots of those grass carp, um, on the outskirts of, uh, of St. Louis, um, during the runoff or when you get a lot of the, your spring, you know, high water, lots of the grass carp, channel catfish, drum, they'll, they'll stick up under trees and start, uh, start grabbing berries that drop in the water. <laughs> um, I, I know a guy out there. He um he created a black ops fly, which is pretty much just a black blob with some rainbow flash in it and some bee chain eyes that represents just that. Um, now some people will throw you know berry specific flies, mm-hmm. um, but as long as you usually have the right size and profile, they'll usually eat it with a good sink rate. Um, as long as it's in their zone, they'll they'll usually suck it up. So they're more concerned about the shape and size of it than the uh, color. I yeah. guess. Yeah. And, and mainly, mainly how it sinks, you know, bright colors tend to not be good with carp. Really? Um, hmm. yeah. And in, in some places you can get away with it depending on their mood and what they're eating. And, you know, for example, the Denver South Platte is a highly renowned carp fishery throughout the country and they're extremely picky, extremely spooky. And, you know, any sort of subtle vibration you make on the bank, any sort of odd movement out in the air, and they're they're going to turn off and they're going to refuse your fly, even if you tend to get it in front of them at that point. So a lot of what I have to do is getting really close, being real stealthy, and little dap casts, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know they really like dull colors, you know, olives, blacks, browns. You know, sometimes you can get away with like a peach-colored hot spot on the fly. And we're talking stuff no bigger than our thumb, you know, like yeah. size six to 12. Yeah. So, so tell me what it is about the carp that, you know, you find so, uh, intriguing as a, uh, as a fly angler, you know, is it the thrill of the chase or the fight? You know, what, what is it about the fish that uh, you've come to love? For me, it's, it's all of it. Um, one thing I, I really admire about them is their adaptability. Um, they're able to survive a vast array of water conditions Mm -hmm. from, you know, some of the most sterile environments to the most bacteria ridden canals, you know? So, you know, for example, Blackfoot Reservoir in Idaho, you have a a good diverse bit of insect life, but, you know, you walk these banks and it's a massive reservoir. These flats go out for miles and they come down and they'll eat forged crayfish patterns with massive leech imitating streamers, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. like movement and aggressive like and at those times and that's a special place because you can soon sight cast to like um to bubbles and have chips and have fish you know uh chase them down and be able to 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 hook up after that Neat. um but when when in most places you know you can't even do that you have to sight fish your cast perfect in place you know do about the size of a dinner plate under that carp's head you know Mm-hmm. for you to be able to get it in that zone and them to want to at least investigate it, you know? Right. And you were talking a little bit about the different kinds of carp as well. Um, so there, there's different species and uh, different areas, I take it? 
Yeah. So one, there's, there's, you know, some people call these buffalo carp, but they're really a, a smallmouth buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, they're native fish to the U.S., and they have a, a fairly similar diet to carp. They're a little bit trickier to get um, due to they're not as aggressive, but they're, they, have, they, they like to school up with carp, so you get them as bycatch almost. Oh, um, okay. And then you have common carp. Yeah, and then you have common carp, like, for example, and, and, and buffalo are native to the Missouri River watershed. So they go all the way up to Montana, Minnesota, you know, down through Texas and down into uh, you know, Alabama, all, all down through the Midwest, pretty much up to north of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because they, they have really same, really similar social behaviors, spawning behaviors, and pretty similar eating behaviors as well. So they sort of, they intermingle when you see them all schooled up. Um, but they're a little bit more of a bluish color and, uh, they're, they're a bit, they're a bit of a different looking fish as well. Um, mm-hmm. but common carp, they tend to be a little bit more sight oriented than buffalo. Um, they'll go after things more, more visually than a buffalo will. And, um, you know, again, throughout the Missouri River watershed, you have uh, grass carp, which I've gone in and been able to, to spend, like, to spread pretty much everywhere. Um, but then you get those guys stocked in ponds all over the country so um, to control, you know, weeds and whatnot. Um, right. But they, uh, they're, they are really interesting. Uh, in my opinion, those are probably one of the hardest fish to catch um, on fly or on anything. They, uh, they're super wary. They get huge, and they can sense just about anything and see just about anything. And if it's not right, if you have any sort of awkward splash, they, they just don't want it. Mm. Um, now, in some situations, you can get them to be aggressive. Like in Colorado, there's some, some guys that go down who have some spots that they know, and they go and throw leeches at, at grass carp. But they, they fight even harder. Really? And the interesting thing about them, yeah, is they're, they're primarily herbivorial. So they, they eat, you know everything from, you know, just straight leaves that fall in the water to, you know, sometimes being aggressive and small insects. Um, but they, uh, they're, they're really picky on what they decide to take. Um, in Dallas, for example, in my backyard, there are these huge grass carp that has been there for like 30 plus years. And, uh, when it storms, they get aggressive for, um, for big sculpin patterns, which is weird. I found it to work and they, mm. they start to whip around, you know, off the splash of it to just devour it. Um, but you know, during, you know, the colder months in spring, um, when there isn't storms or that, that runoff coming through and keep in mind, this is a small little lake, probably like an acre. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, the, the change in that water there is super quick and fast when it does happen. But you know, otherwise there is, they like to eat seed pods that fall from the tree on top. So I spin up these little deer hair patterns. They're about the same size, and you have to crawl on your stomach to even get by them. And they, they <laughs> it's not right. It's, it's not happening. I'm talking about, like, 12-foot leaders. It's, it's a oh, tricky man. game those guys, yeah. Oh, no doubt. But, so when you – I'm trying to uh, – visualize this when you talk about sight casting to carp um you know when when you say sight casting here in florida we're we're thinking about 18 inches or less of salt water normally on sandy bottom or, or grassy bottom yeah. so it's real shallow and you can definitely see the fish swimming but are, are you are you seeing carp out in deeper water kind of up on the top or are they up shallow you know where where are you seeing so, these fish so it can be both 
Um, sometimes okay. you know, those grass trout, when they're when they're on top, they like to you know they're under just the surface, and they're you see their mouths coming up and eating these things. Um, common mm-hmm. carp will do that on foam lines in in deep water, and sometimes you get them where they're cruising in deep water, and you can cast to them and strip in. Sometimes they'll move and suck it in on their path, and then other times you know you get these shallow shallow flats and you know, their tails are sticking out and they're feeding on bottom and eating you know, all sorts of insects and rooting up the water to, to chase down whatever flees out from the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you get that worms or lots of times a, a big thing with carp is when it floods, you can, uh, you can sight fish them on you know, uh, flats that have flooded over like on where that stuff that usually isn't covered by water. And they tend to get pretty uh, willing to eat things when it's like that because there's a they're getting access to food they usually don't normally don't normally get. Yeah, it sounds like carp are a whole lot more complicated than uh, maybe a lot of us knew about, and that it really yeah. is quite a skill level to getting them. Yeah, and once I mean, and there's a lot of things like on the South Platte, for example. You know, it requires a really really well placed cast, um, a lot of stealth, and just getting to the spot to where you're not spooking them, and and uh, you know maybe having a carp like ten feet in front of you to where you can dap cast and just be able to get there and then another thing is in a lot of places a big thing with carp is detecting the take um how many fish be able Uh. to they they don't they don't bite like most fish you know so you have to usually see what happens and see the take or you'll be able to tell let's for example in texas there's a lot of muddy water and all you can Mm -hmm. see is the tip of their tail the fly Mm. is in the zone you know it's in the zone um but you have to sort of tell by the way their tail is moving or by some sort of body language or whether they you make a slight movement to whether they take or not. Oh, so you may not even see the uh, the tippet or the, the leader move then, huh? Yeah, you're you're a lot of the because a lot of the time if, if you're taught on a on a leader on a tailing carp, they'll they they really sensitive mouths, so they can usually feel pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. I find it when I have a slack line or it's just a slightly slack line enough to where that fly can move without a, without, you know, the leader getting, you know, being taught and creating a crease in their mouth is what I think happens. Um, they tend when they spit it back out, they either one hook themselves or two, um, you're able to, they make a more subtle movement. They hold it on for just a, just a slight bit longer enough to where you can tell whether they take or not. Hmm. So definitely an acquired feel to uh, get yeah, the hang of hooking them. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something uh, is not they they acquire a little bit of a skill set that you you don't normally get with most other fishing. Well, it sounds like you've got them dialed in pretty good, and uh, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, I have a feeling uh, that you might have an epic carp story for us. So everybody, yeah. stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to say a quick thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. It really helps us to spread the word so we can keep bringing you the most epic fishing adventures in the world. Okay. We are back, and we've been talking about uh, carp fishing, and specifically on the fly. And uh, man, does that sound like it? Uh, you know that that's quite a fish to chase and figure out, and <laughs> that you got to yeah. sometimes get yourself in uh, twisted and contorted positions and do everything oh, possible yeah. just to get a bite. <laughs> but yep. um, 
So I understand you actually have a couple of stories for us. Normally, I I uh, make our guests agonize and uh, pare it down to one, but you've got so many good ones. I think we're going to talk about a couple here today. So since we're on carp, uh, why don't you tell me your most epic carp fishing story? All right. So here's there's there's probably a little bit of a match um, here. The one of them was in Dallas. I had a I was able to. I had this spot right outside of Dallas in a suburb called Las Colinas. It's this little pond and, you know, arguably like not supposed to be on this water, but no one really cares. Um, mm-hmm. But, and no one monitors the place. It's some little ranch, but, and I, lo- I know a lot of people that fish it and they, they go there and they have zero issues getting onto it. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's in this little city suburb and lots of these, lots of these, these carp, they're aggressive for, for, like little nymphs in there. They're pretty doubted on color in that spot. Interestingly enough, if it's too bright, they don't like it. If they too, if it's too dark, they don't really notice it. So, mm, um, okay. W- one of the flies I like to use in Dallas, um, is a, called an Egan's headstand. It's a fly created by Lance Egan. And it's pretty much a, usually tied in size eight has two little rubber legs, a peach colored head and a brown body with a little rabbit fur tail. And it, it's light, lightweight usually most of the time and it sinks pretty decently um mm-hmm. but one day i came out here and the conditions were off it was a bit of a cloudy day but for some reason the water was slick and the fish were going nuts they were mm. eating everything in sight and i was out there i was my dad he had driven me out there i didn't have my license at that point and um I was like, Dad, here, take this iPad and record me doing all this stuff. So I was able to, <laughs> to get to get a lot of footage and caught eleven carp that day on fly. Wow! Uh, and you know, I got nine out of those eleven takes on video. Um, I got some nice. footage of carp tailing, uh, hooking into them from up on a bridge. And if you got that fly in the zone that day, they just ate it. There's a lot of times, you know, drag and drop, have it drop, and they just pounce on it. And it's really, really, it was a, it was just a fun day, just having fun. And they were eating everything. It was just easy, fun carp fishing that, you know, still required your fundamentals, but there right. wasn't anything to it. Like it was, it was just, everything fell in place with almost every fish you got a shot at. So it was, it was just an absolute blast. Oh man, I bet. So did you have any clue as to what had the fish turned on so much that day? Was was something different so, going on? It was it was interesting to see how many fish were out because you know a lot of these fish they come up uh, they work these little it's like a small pond I'd say about like eight acres maybe um, and they I do laps around it you know three laps would mm-hmm. take about like three hours I'd say um, okay you know going through each so I have I have a each little hot spot dialed in on each you know during the lap that I know where they like to hang so I can sort of you know fish it pretty proficiently um, right. But for some reason, dude, they were just everywhere. And I was, I, at first I started spooking a lot and then they would reset really quickly. But I think what it was is there's a little bit of a storm a couple of days before and it just turned the water uh, pretty clear actually after it washed mm. through. And, um, you know, it was really muddy for a couple of days. And then after it went off, it just turned really clear and they were able to see a lot better. And it was really, really just fun fishing because, for some reason, I think it was a little bit of the the pressure in the air and um, just the cloudy conditions had them less concerned about you know predators and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just they, they were able to they were just all over the place and willing 
about anything. Yeah, I tell you, what, no matter the species, when you find a bunch of them that are totally carefree and, and not spooky, yeah. yeah, that's the days we live for, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, like, for example, that's probably the day I've caught the most carp. Um, but you have places like Blackfoot Reservoir in eastern Idaho where, you know, you go out on these flats and they're all, pretty much all of them are mirror carp. And you go and wade mm. these flats and I would, I would get on my, my drift boat and drift through these sections and, you know, try and cast, you know, 70 to 80 foot at these fish. You know, most of my casts were shorter than that, but you could catch them at that distance if you could cast them accurately enough. Um, right. You know, they're willing to chase things there. And there it's just an absolute blast because you see these big carp tailing, you know, they get up to like 40 pounds there. And uh, wow. you get these flies to them, big flies on big gear, and they just, they run like crazy. So, you know, those Man. those are probably, you know, that day I headed out to Blackfoot the first day and just started to figure them out. It was a lot of fun. And that was, oh, uh, I bet. Those, those, that's just a special fishery in itself that, you know, I think everyone should be able to get to experience out there. Yeah, it sounds like that would be a lot of fun. Well, we've covered the carp pretty well, but uh, we were talking a little bit before we started the interview here about some epic saltwater fly fishing that uh, you've been able to do here and some of it pretty recently. So uh, why don't you uh, just walk us through that? Yeah. So when I was, when I was around 15, I was able to, I was looking at some of the fly fishing film tour videos and was looking at saltwater fly fishing. I was like, dang, that looks like a blast. The fish are giant. They pull their big rods. Like I want to try that. So I was able to get a, a trip set up with, um, with Will Benson at world angling. And uh, he okay. runs a, uh, a guiding service down there and he primarily focuses on permit on the fly. I um, mean, you know, he does tarpon and bone fishing, you know, the big three. But uh, mm-hmm. I was that able Key to West, right? A, huh? Yeah, he's based out Key of West. Key West. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and he, he does some really cool stuff. You know, he's an amazing guy. But I was able to get down there on September of, it was 2016, 2015. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I was 16, I believe. Yeah, I was 16 at the time. And, um, yeah, I went out my first day and, you know, I was, I was always a really good cast of the fly rod. So, you know, I knew the fundamentals of, of all that. So that wasn't an issue. It was just getting used to the salt, you know? Yeah. So it was September and there's a little bit of a, of a tarp, of a tarpon blitz. And, in Marquesas key is just, there's a bunch of them, a bunch of the smaller guys, you know, 50 to 80 pounds stuck around for a while. And, mm. um, and they were in Marquesas key and they were, they were able to, to, they were, they were eating stuff. So we were practicing on them for the morning. And, um, and so I was able to, to land one, hook one, you know, have a bunch of shots, screw up a bunch and learn a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I, I landed my first tarpon. I actually ended up jumping in the boat while we were landing the thing. And oh, really? uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. It jumped in the boat. We put it back in the water, revive it a bit, get a quick picture and release it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was interesting. I saved a video of it riding the boat. It was funny. Um, oh man! And a little bit, yeah. And then from we had lunch, and uh, I was like, you know, I want to try and get some shots at permit because you know permit was what I was super interested in. You know, they, yeah. they relate to carp, they relate to carp a lot, um, and mm-hmm. a saltwater sense, just more aggressive, bigger, and but they they tail eat and are spooky, and they they have the same sort of you know inspection that they do on flies carp. They they'll look at a fly and they, they don't really, you know, not think about it. You know, bonefish, you can throw a crab fly in front of them. They'll just, they'll eat it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the permit permit tend to like they second guess themselves they look at it they inspect it before they <laughs> eat so i was i was really um i was really excited to get in front of some of those fish turns out i was completely screwed over um i i we were we were approaching on this this bowl um and this the school of fish comes out of it and you know my first ever sight at a permit you know 60 foot cast perfectly on top of the school no idea what i was doing one strip one eats and i end up landing this little permit my first ever cast at a permit on fly wow <laughs> totally just screwed one for one for the, yeah, huh? one for you're one for one yeah exactly <laughs> and um <laughs> totally because i mean you know permit are they're really big on the mindset you have to be calm and cool and me being like i just caught one out of ignorance because i had no idea what i was doing so at that point, you know, every fish from then on was just getting my butt whooped. And I think I cried on the <laughs> boat like four times, like <laughs> over the next five days, cause I couldn't make a shot and I was shaky and everything. But back to the first day, I ended up landing a little fish, and, you know, permanent fly is a permanent fly. It happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, my guy, he's like freaking out. He's like, what is happening? Like Zach, like what just, what just happened? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> how did that, like, he was totally just like, acting crazy and i didn't know what i had really just done so i was like all right well yeah let's try for a bonefish like so mm-hmm. we went out you know made this like i don't know it was probably a good like hour and a half long run over oh, wow. by, uh, by sugarloaf yeah and um we went on these sandy flats and i ended up catching one of these bonefish and made a good cast them and they were sort of off. They positioned off and they came back onto right where that fly was. And a couple of seconds later, cause I left it there. So on purpose, I could tell that they shifted and mm-hmm. um, made a couple of strips came tight and it just ran and ended up landing a thing. So, you know, first day on the salt, first day fly fishing, like slam right there. The most, one, the most coveted wow. seats and in, in saltwater fly fishing. And I had no idea what I was doing the whole time. Um, the next four days, I caught a lot of, of tarpon and bonefish, but totally got my butt whooped by permit. Um, <laughs> refusal after refusal, spot after spot, like ruined shot after ruined shot. Edge just destroyed me. I was like, oh, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> but um, so the next year, I I came back and I had practiced for year cast mentality and really took it into hand. And I uh, ended up getting two more slams the next year during another five day trip. And, nice. um, yeah, I was, I was really, really happy about it. And, um, one of the, and then I came back two months later after that, I got a last minute sort of invitation, like, Hey, can you make it out this Friday? And I was in Texas at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to compete in the Sugarloaf showdown with me. I was like, uh, sure. Let's make it happen. So, mm-hmm. so I did, um, I would got down there. I pre-fished for a couple of days and, uh, I ended up placing second in that two day tournament. Um, wow. you know, it spin, yeah, it was spin and fly. Um, but of course there are more points going towards fly and I usually, oh, I made okay. the fly rod and it was, it was CUDA and, uh, and permit. And, uh, you know, we had three permit on fly. We grinded out three on the last day and, you know, it's sort of like a most versatile angler, angler tournament. So once you got three of the same species on one sort of type of tackle, you had to switch over to the other type of tackle to get more oh, points. Okay. Oh, um, how cool. Like, yeah, so bonefish on spin, let's say, it was worth 100 points, and bonefish on fly was 300. So, you know, mm. we ground out some bonefish on fly, got a bunch of kuda on spin, and uh, then we also got a permit on spin. There's a, a big school we had tracked down for the past couple of days, and they were uh, they would 
they would go over this channel and, and school up and, but they were just so finicky. I had to double strip for them on fly at one point, which is where you take the rod and put it up under your arm and use both hands to get a smoother movement on the, on the end of the rod. Um, oh, okay. So, so you take, so you take the line and use two hands to strip it in, but they just weren't doing it and they weren't feeling anything. So we finally decided to switch over and throw some live crabs at him and got one to actually eat. Um, mm-hmm. and then, I was there for, I think, two days or one, yeah, two days after the tournament. And um, one of the last day, I was like, you know, let's, it was really stormy and everything. I was like, let's, let's do some, you know, back in the mangrove. Let's go bushwhack around a bit. So we did. And um, we got a bunch of juvie tarpons and whatnot. Um, I was hoping to get a snook, never have a caught snook on fly. I just had a mm-hmm. shot at one, I don't think. Um, but, you know, there's at one point, there's a, a, pretty nice sized goliath grouper for you know the mangroves it wasn't small it was like 40 pounds um wow this thing was cruising around and we had spotted him once before and he came back around under this little spot we were chilling at for a little bit and uh i was like will can i throw a fly and let's see what happens and you know, we were jumping juby tarp inside a, a 10 weight with 15 pound test bite tippet um mm-hmm. or i had 30 pound test bite tippet with 15 pound test uh attached to that, um for my the end of my actual leader um, so, you know, practically 15 pound test, but you know, the abrasion resistance of 30 pounds that was attached to the fly, um, mm-hmm. and a barbless chartreuse gurgler. And, um, I tossed at this thing and made a couple of strips and with tarpon, when you're stripping on them with, uh, with, with the line, it's about the pause usually like, you know, with bass, when you make a bass popper, it's just, it's when you make it move, it's this consistent pops, like pop, 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 you know, and right. hit. But with, with tarpon, it's about that pause, you know, it's pop, 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 and then the pause, and, you know, that, that tends to really to get them onto the fly a lot better and a lot more willing to eat when you're, when you're more erratic with how you move it. Um, so with, that wasn't really the case with the, with the grouper. So I, was, I had these, I, we were, I was getting to the rhythm all day with tarpon, and I made a couple pops, paused, and came up real close and then refused and actually turned around and started swimming the opposite direction. Um, mm-hmm. And I made three really freaking hard pops and, you know, just consistent. He whipped back around. I just kept going and he ended up inhaling the thing. I stripped that <laughs> went straight for the mangroves and it was on. And I, I would use my guy with Sonny Willie. He was like, yo, <laughs> be careful. You have 15 pound tests. Like I am, I am. And I fought him really well. <laughs> There's a point where he got like, three feet back into the mangroves oh. and i thought it was done and i was he was yeah. under there rod tipped down low and just pulled and prayed and he ended up turning direction coming back out into the open we were able to land him get some pictures and it was awesome yeah <laughs> yeah you dodged a bullet when that uh, fish got back in the mangroves like that because oh, yeah. a lot of times you don't <laughs> you don't recover from that wow yeah man well, Zach, a uh, couple of uh, great stories there that you shared with us, and uh, and just I learned a lot about carp and you know what what a cool species they are, and and uh, I I got some work to do, man. I you've inspired me. I need to get out there and get after them. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, you're welcome. Our merch shop is now open for business. We have shirts, stickers, and much more, all sporting our signature Microfish logo, or tons of other cool fishing designs from independent artists, and all at great prices. 
Go to www.tell.fish slash merch to check it out. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.